Well, let's turn our Bibles, that passage that we opened earlier, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And again, if you'd like to use the Bible provided for you, it's page 967. Uh, in a few minutes, uh, if you'd like to be ready to turn back to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, we'll look there for a moment. But our time this morning is focused in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, while you're turning there, I, I sent out uh, last Monday, I think it was, or Tuesday, to our entire church family, all that folks that worship here, and a very important letter about uh, Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving offering, the focus of next steps for us here as a church as we are looking forward and trusting the Lord and calling people to pray about that and, and offer us to generously give. And so I'm going to ask our ushers come. If, if anybody did not receive that letter, I just want to make sure everybody has received it. Sometimes those things go astray. Uh, but I'll ask them to come all the way forward, if you would. And then they just come back. You just raise your hand if you did not get that and take that with you. Just, that's just communication about a little more specifics concerning our, our offering at Thanksgiving and also uh, looking ahead a little bit about how we believe the Lord is leading us to be more and more focused on our outreach to our community, to meeting needs and sharing Jesus Christ, uh, literally establishing a mission uh, for that ministry, that risk people through the gospel. And we'll be sharing more about that with all of you uh, maybe in the first of the year. But this is a part of the generosity to see that vision uh, be, begin to be formulated. Also, uh, it's, uh, we feel time for us to, as pastors and as the deacons have shared in this, the staff as well, for us to begin thinking about looking ahead of master planning, the campus that we have for our next phases of ministry. And it's important to do that. And uh, how that this campus will be used missionally and what the needs might be. And so we are giving the offering above our regular uh, needs here in the operation of ministry to go toward uh, that vision of a mission to our at-risk community here and then also to our, uh, the analysis of our missional campus and the first steps that way. And again, these are things that will be coming back later on uh, to the church family, but begin right here. And so it's exciting times for us. As I mentioned, our church, I wanted to give you an update from Emmanuel Church. We failed to do that. That's our church plant that we started about one year ago. And I spent some time with Derek and Jared, who are the pastors there. And just about a year and three weeks ago that they officially started the church. A member of 152, 53 from our church went to start uh, Emmanuel Church. They now have worshiping about 275 people that are worshiping. So we praise God for that. And that's right. That's all right. Now, folks, you, you can amen. You don't have to let John have all the fun. Okay, now you can do that. So, uh, but praise God, the Lord's blessing them. And we are great, so grateful to see this increase in kingdom outreach inspires us to continue uh, in our service for the Lord. So uh, tonight's service is a service. I want you to understand it's not a business meeting. It is a worship service. It's one of our family gatherings at 6 o'clock. Uh, we will be talking about, of course, things that have to do with our stewardship and the vision budget. Uh, deacons that would be elected as they will be serving our, our body. But it is a worship service, and you'll be blessed being here at 6 o'clock uh, for that. Well, as we think about Thanksgiving, our special offering that uh, we'll be giving uh, starting next Sunday and opportunity after that, it leads us to this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I feel I led to, felt let go there because that is exactly what this passage is about. A special offering that Paul was receiving, but the incredible spiritual significance of it. So we're going to, we're going to walk through that this morning. And I want to tell you right up front, I'm going to be honest with you. I've got a lot of things to share with you today. I was trying to get a word picture of this. And, and after the first service, you know, you never quite know. Then the word picture came to me back in my childhood. You, you go out and play in the backyard and stuff, have ball game. And then... Uh, Say, hey, how, would you guys like to have a drink or a drink of water? And we'd go get the, the hose, you know, to get a drink. 
Of course, I would get the hose and I would, I would uh, put a little crinkle in it back here with my hand where nobody could see, you know what I'm saying? And I'd, I'd turn the water on and they'd just be trickling out. And they'd be go, oh, that's good. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. And they'd get about right there. Then I'd let go of my hand back here and hose them. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm going to do to you today, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you right up. They're going to hose you here a little bit, but I trust it's straight from Scripture, but also will, will help us to really understand the incredible opportunities and, and responsibilities and potential that we have. So 2 Corinthians, Paul is receiving an offering. Now, this is an amazing thing. You have to understand the context. The believers who are Jewish believers in Judea are in extreme poverty. Most of them are in poverty because they're under persecution. Because they have been considered to have left the Jewish faith because they have become followers of Yeshua HaMashiach. That Jesus, who they say is the Messiah, crucified and now risen. And because of that, they've lost jobs. They've been excommunicated from family from the synagogue, and they are in dire situations. Paul, a Jew himself, has a heart for them, and it comes to his mind to move above, um, among the Gentile churches of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, over into northern Greece, called Macedonia, then into southern Greece, called Achaia, and he is receiving an offering to send it to the needy Jewish believers in Judea. This offering is taking probably a couple of years for him to collect. That's the context here. Now, Paul is taking this offering, but he sees the spiritual significance of the offering. What is he, what's happening here? Gentiles are taking love offerings for Jews. This is unprecedented in the history of the world. These people hate each other. What is going on when people from Galatia and Macedonia and, and Greece, Achaia, Gentiles are taking love offerings for Jews? Paul says this is an incredible opportunity to show the unity of the church. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. One new person, one new body in Christ, united, all the barriers overwhelmed by Jesus, and it's proven in giving. That's what's happening. That's Paul's vision. Now he's writing to these people to tell them he wants them to have the privilege of participating he, he, they've, been, they've had a year to get ready. And so he's writing that now he's coming and he's bringing some Gentile brothers with him that are going to take the offering on to Judea. And he says, this is an opportunity for you to unify the church and it's an opportunity for you individually to be edified, to grow in the Lord. Verse 7, look, he says, but as you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love. See that you excel in this act of grace. He says, as you have Bible knowledge now, you have wisdom, you have discernment, you're growing in love. Make sure you grow in this grace as well. He says it's spiritual growth. He says, now I'm not telling you this out of legalism. It's not legalism, but it's an opportunity for love. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command. I'm not putting some legalistic compulsion on you. But to prove by the earnestness of others. I've been telling you about the others up north, what they're doing. You southerners need to get in on this. And prove that your love is genuine. Okay? And he says all of this is flowing from God's grace in Christ. It's God's love in Christ that will flow through you and you'll experience that love in new ways. Verse 9, you know this love. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's saying, you know that the rich one became poor so you poverty people could become rich in him. Now share, share generously. Paul's main point here is this. For our children, they're using the folders. Here's the main point Paul is making. As Christians, we give generously to God as a response to His amazing grace. That's what Paul's saying. As Christians, we give generously to God as a response to His amazing grace. We are rich as recipients. Therefore, we need to be rich in generosity as givers. Now, Paul takes two whole chapters. You'll notice this, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of this entire letter are just about this offering, this special offering. Now, why? Why is that? Why would the Apostle Paul think this offering is so important? And even beyond that, why would the Holy Spirit think this offering and giving is so important that he would record it in the eternal Word of God? It's because what is being taught here by the Lord is that he gives us incredible opportunity to experience Him. He gives us incredible opportunity to experience Him in new and fresh ways through our giving to Him. We experience Him as what? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And as we experience Him providing, as we provide for others, what's the result? Joy! We rejoice that God has provided for us and we rejoice that God has provided through us. The Lord, listen, the Lord wants you to be a Christian hedonist. He wants you to live for joy. But the real joy, not the phony joy that the world offers, which is not joy at all, but the eternal joy experience of him right now in your life and for all eternity God wants you to go for it he wants you to experience and live for his joy now as we read this passage and you're going to see Paul is speaking to Gentile believers remember this now he's speaking to Gentiles not Jewish people But everything he says is based on what God has already said in the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. It's based on the principles that God has shared with his people, the Jewish people, for centuries. And so Paul is bringing these Gentile believers into the principles that God has taught his people through the ages. Now... What are those principles? Well, I ask you to be ready to look at Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we were here last week. But what is the principle that God gives to us about how we handle His resources, His resources, so that we experience Him? What is that? Well, you go to the book of principles. The book of principles in the Bible is Proverbs. It's principles for living which put into practice have promises and privileges attended to them. Did you get all those P's? Okay, it's principles of life when put into practice that yield the experience of promises of God and the privileges that go with experiencing those. Here's how God said it through Solomon. The wisest man and the richest man that ever lived. So when it comes to money, the richest man and the wisest man who ever lived said this. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now notice, principle, practice, 
Promise, privilege, privileges. Number one, what's the principle? Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. Your master, your maker, your redeemer, your heavenly father as we know him. Honor him. He must be honored above all. How do you do that in a practical way? Well, when it comes to your stewardship of his resources, the practice is this. Give to him the first fruits of all that he's given to you. The first fruits of your wealth and all of your produce give to him. Don't give him your leftovers. Don't take, take care of all your wants, everything you want. Get everything you want done. And then if there's something left, give that to God. No. Honor him with what he has given you first. What's the promise? The promise is the Lord will provide. Verse 10, he uses agricultural terminology, but it applies today to us in any lifestyle we have. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. You give out of your harvest, God can put it back in your barn. And if you will give to him your grapes, your vineyards, <laughs> the Lord can make those vats just flow with wine. The Lord will provide. That doesn't mean the Lord's going to provide for everyone's selfish desires. Someone has said there are some people so selfish, even God couldn't provide for all their selfish desires. But he will provide for all that we need. And it's a privilege. Why? What's the privilege? We experience this. God providing for us. And as we're giving, we're giving to the Lord and generously to his kingdom work, the ministry to people. God not only gives to us, but he also gives through us. And what happens when you see God as you are faithfully giving to him? What happens when you see God providing for you and then you know God is providing through you? I'll tell you, it's joy. It's joy. Giving is God's channel of blessing to his people. Giving is God's channel of blessing to his people. Blessing for those who give and blessing for those who receive. You see, it is more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. But for somebody to have the blessing of giving, others have got to have what? The blessing of receiving so that the body functions that way. Giving and receiving. Giving and receiving as life goes along. Now, here's the question I want to ask. What is the method of this giving that's described here? What is this method of giving? Solomon, the principle of the Bible, throughout the Bible, Solomon mentions it's here. It's called the first fruits. The first fruits. I want us to consider now for a moment what is meant by first fruits as we look at the Bible. Well, first of all, let's consider first fruits in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Now, when I'm saying Old Covenant, I'm meaning the people of Israel came into the land of Canaan. Moses led them and God established with his people a covenant community there in Israel. It was a theocracy. God was king. They were his people. And God established this principle of first fruits for the operation of his theocracy, his community on earth with his chosen people. And he says, now this is what first fruits is. This is what it's made of. It is made of, first of all, the tithe. The tithe. Throughout the Old Covenant, you read about the tithe. What is a tithe? A tithe means simply a tenth. A tenth. Uh, in the Jewish economy, when they thought of first fruits, they would first think of all that God said about giving him the first tenth. 
Here's what that tithe was to be used for. What was it used for in God's kingdom? Number one, it was used for the Levites and the priest. The priest were of the tribe of Levi. There was a priestly family. Then the entire tribe of Levi were set aside as ministers in God's kingdom. Therefore, they were given no land. When the tribes came into the land of promise, the Levite tribe, tribe of Levi, was given no land because they would be the ministers and the other tribes would provide for them and it would happen through the tithe. That was one reason for the tithe. Second reason for the tithe that we're taught, it was for the worship of God and the festivals of God, the house of God. It provided for the tabernacle where God dwelt with his people. Later on, the temple. It provided for all of the worship services to be held. It provided for the people to be able to come and gather in God's presence and rejoice and sing and offer sacrifices and carry out the festivals. And then thirdly, the tithe was to go toward the care of the poor. The care of the poor. The poor were to be cared for out of this tithe. Now, first fruits was a giving of a tithe, and then first fruits also meant any free will offerings that someone wanted to give. Uh, if they wanted and felt led to give a special offering to the Lord for something that was free will offered to the Lord, that was first fruit. Tithe, offering. Now that's the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Now, what is first fruits under the new covenant? Under the new covenant. This is the covenant with, through Christ who has established a new community. Do you understand? In Christ, there is a new community. It's a community of his kingdom's presence now on earth represented in the church. And in the church, the church is his community. He is the spiritual king. In his community now, though, there is no racial separation, ethnic separation, but everyone is one in Christ. And we have this new covenant where it is not a geographic covenant in a place on earth with a specific people, but it is the kingdom of God where his people are gathering in his name, expressing him, worshiping him. That is his new covenant people, the new community. What does the Lord say to people in this new community? Well, just a couple things to begin. First of all, Jesus commended the giving of the tithes. He commended that. Jesus, in his ministry, he commended the giving of the tithe. He didn't condemn it. As a matter of fact, he said to the Pharisees, you give tithes all the way down to counting out your grains of various spices. But here's what he said. You ought to have done this. Matthew 23, 23. You ought to have given your tithe, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. There's something more than important than your tithe, and that is mercy, justice, compassion. Things of the heart are much more important. Jesus said you ought to have given that tithe and not neglected the more important things. Then the Apostle Paul cites the giving of the tithe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says that just as in the Old Covenant... The ministry of God and the ministers of God served out of the tithe. He said so in the new covenant. The ministries of the church and the ministers of the church live out of that, that tithe. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14. But now let me move on to the key principle. It's very clear in the New Testament the key principle of our giving to God is not based on a law of the tithe. It is much higher than a law. It, because it's not a standard of written law. It is a standard of grace in our hearts. 
overwhelmed by God's mercy, what He's done for us in Christ, it becomes not law-giving, but grace-giving. It's giving that's motivated by grace. Now that's what, go back to our text now in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's what Paul is discussing. Now listen carefully. And this is what the Holy Spirit is sharing for the people of God in his new community in Jesus. He says, this is how you practice grace giving. Grace giving. You're not under the law. <laughs> You're under grace. Well, wow. What incredible privilege. And even what a higher motivation. So what Paul does is he begins to give instruction to us by the Holy Spirit through this offering how we should go about our giving. Now let me quickly, I'm just going to walk through this very quickly. I'm starting to let the hose off here a little bit, okay? I'm going to walk through it very quickly. Number one, what does he say? Give by first giving yourself. Give by first giving yourself. Verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Friends, let me tell you something. God doesn't want your money first. He wants you. God doesn't need any money. But he gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem your soul. God wants you. And so give yourself to the Lord. Start. When you start thinking about what should I do with my giving, that's wonderful. But back up and say, what am I doing about my living? We need to get more concerned about our living. And if we do that, it'll take care of our giving. Give yourself to the Lord. Number two, give as a process of spiritual growth. It, it's to help you grow. It's a gracious principle. Verse 7 says, see that you excel in this grace also. Oh, you know the Bible. You're learning verses. Prayers are being answered. You're learning things in church. You're starting to see God work. Now make sure you grow in this area as well. Don't leave this part of your life unstrengthened and growing. Number three, give as an expression of your genuine love. Give as an expression of your genuine love. Verse eight, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Here's the principle. Our giving is one expression that our love for Christ is genuine. That's what Paul says. Now, how can Paul say that? Because Jesus said it. What did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there will what? Your heart be also. And so our giving is an expression of our genuine love. Number four, Paul says, give, give as a response to Christ's gift to you. Give as a response to Christ's gift to you. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. He says, let your giving be a response to the giver who gave himself for you. Number 5. Give with a plan. Give with a plan to give. Verse 10, and in this manner, matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this, that is get ready for the offering, but you had a desire to do it. So now finish doing it. Finish this plan that you had so that what you were ready to desire to do, it may be matched by completing it. He's talking about a plan for giving. That you just don't say, well, you know, whatever. You know, just throw a little here and throw No, he says, you need to have a plan for your giving. Carry out that plan before the Lord as he guides you. Number six, give as God provides for you to give. Give as God provides 
for you to give. Verse 12, if there is a readiness you, you want to give, it's acceptable. That readiness is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God never holds you accountable for what you don't have to give. He holds you accountable for what you do have to give. If you have a plan and God makes that plan work and you have the money to carry out that plan, now give. But if you don't have the money to carry out the plan you thought you are going to have, well, what do you have? <laughs> give that. It's so practical. Give, number, number six. Uh, give as God provides you to give. Number seven, give as an expression of sharing in the family of Christ or sharing in the body of Christ. This is beautiful. Verse 13, they're giving to poor brothers and sisters. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that the idea is later on, their abundance may supply your need, so there may be fairness. In the body of Christ, you go through seasons when you have stuff, and you go through seasons when you don't have as much. And so people who have need have those needs met by the people who have the resources. And it happens as eventually somebody who's had to receive, now they're able to give. How many of us could here stand up and say, there was a time when I wanted to give and I couldn't give. But God met my needs through his people and, and, and answered to my prayer. Now I'm able to give to others in need. Isn't that awesome? That's the way the Lord wants it to work in the body. Number eight, give generously with anticipation. Give generously with anticipation. Now we're in chapter nine. See, he continues on. Chapter nine, verse six, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is the law of a harvest. Planting, reaping. You, if, if you want to know what kind of harvest you're going to have in the fall, guess when you have to start preparing for it? In the spring. You can't be stingy in the spring and expect to be blessed in the fall. It doesn't work that way. And this is what the Lord says. He says, make sure that you give generously in anticipation that the Lord is going to generously provide. Number nine, give thoughtfully and purposefully. Thoughtfully and purposefully. How do you go about giving? Look at verse number seven. Each one must give as he has decided, not as someone else has decided for him, as he has decided in his heart, thoughtfully and purposefully. Listen, giving is serious stuff. We're going to give an account of this someday. It's God's stuff. Seriously and thoughtfully, purposefully. Give, number 10, without compulsion or pressure. Don't give under compulsion or pressure. Verse 7, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You should never give out of a sense, oh, I've got to do this. What will be expected of me? What will they think? Or under some kind of pressure or someone has got you manipulated or it's some kind of, uh, some kind of trick. No, no, no. He says, don't, do, don't give that way. Not under compulsion or pressure. He says, at number 11, but give hilariously. <laughs> give hilariously. Look at verse 7. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see that word cheerful? The Greek word is hilarious. Hilarious. It, it's transliterated into English hilarious. So he says God loves. God is so excited about someone who gives. And they're giving to him. And it's not like, oh, that's nice. No, it's like, oh man. Wow, I get to get a, I get in on this. This is awesome. And the Lord says, look at my child. Gabriel, hey, these are my kids. 
That's what the Lord's describing. Number 12, give confidently. Give confidently. Verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. This is the righteous man. It's quoting from the Old Testament. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He, God, who supplies the seed to the sower, he will provide the bread and supply and multiply your seed, more seed, for sowing for the next harvest of your righteousness. You see, it's amazing. God provides the seed. You plant it, the harvest, it's his harvest. You break the bread, you share it, you get some of the seeds, put it back in the barn, it's God's barn, the whole cycle starts over. That's what he's describing. Give confidently, number 12. Number 13, give to cause thanksgiving. Give to cause thanksgiving. It's one thing to celebrate thanksgiving, but how awesome to cause thanksgiving, right? To cause thanksgiving. Look at verses 11 and 14. Paul says, this is what's going to happen. He said, I'm telling you right now, this is what's going to happen in Judea when we get there. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 11, you are going to be enriched in every way and you're going to be able to be generous in every way. Through us, this is going to produce thanksgiving to God. So you're going to offer thanks to God. See it? God's going to provide for you. You're going to offer thanks to God. But now we're taking the offering. For the ministry, I'm going to take this offering. The ministry of this service. And service here means a sacred service. The ministry of this offering, this sacred service, is not only going to provide the needs of the saints. It's not just social. It's not just addressing poverty. But because it's done in the name of Jesus, it's going to overflow into many thanksgivings of God. Gospel outbreak and rejoicing. 13, give to cause thanksgiving. Number 14, give exalting. Not exalting, but exalting in your spirit over the gift of Jesus. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible, unable to be articulated, not enough words in human language, not enough thought to even comprehend the inexpressible gift of Jesus. How do you keep your giving right? How do you keep a grace giving? When you give, you're going back and thinking about the gift that cannot even be comprehended. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember that when you give. Those, my friends, those, my friends, those principles from the Bible and this teaching, it is what creates a stewardship Reformation and sustains a stewardship reformation. It's grace giving. Now I want to close with these two thoughts for you. Don't wrap up. Remember, I still got the hose here. Get ready. I want to close with a thought about the legacy, the legacy of a stewardship reformation and the potential of a stewardship reformation. I want to talk to you about a legacy that I have experienced. And I want to talk to you about the potential of what we could experience. Now, I've got the Jehovah Jireh chest pulled back here. I had it pulled back because I wanted to be able to get behind it. Now, but I need you to come with me and envision. This isn't the Jehovah Jireh chest. What I want you to think of, you're going back to when I'm Nine, ten years old. So it's about 20 years ago or so, okay? So it's I'm nine or ten years old. This is the kitchen table of our house where I grow up. Okay, so gather in. 
This is the kitchen table. My dad's sitting here. He said, son, come here. I'm sitting over there. Now you've got to envision the house. 900 square feet. Shotgun house. That meant you could shoot a gun through the front door, go out the back door, straight through. Next to a railroad track. A few blocks from the Chrysler plant. Coal stove. Our family of five in the front bedroom. An aunt living in one bedroom. An uncle living in the other bedroom. My dad, now a follower of Jesus for a few years. Sixth grade education. Full of the Holy Spirit. He said, now son, sit down here. We're going to work on your math. We're going to work on your math. And he, I knew what was coming. He'd, he'd pull out something. He said, okay. His son, he said, you know, I went to the bank today. He said, I, I got some dollar bills, son. And sometimes he'd do something like that. He said, look at that. God, I, son, I remember the Depression. I was so hungry, hopping boxcars. Man, he'd say, God's been so good. Hey, look at that, son. He said, there's, count them off, son. How many have I got there? Oh, dad, that's $10. That's right. He said, now, son, this is how good God is. That's all God's. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God's so good. He's, he gives those 10 bills and he takes up. He gave them to us, son. Are you listening, son? Listen up. Don't watch TV. He, he gave us all these bills. He said, no, looky there. He said, God takes up nine of them and says, hey, Luther, you just, that's mine, but you just keep that. But I want you to trust me with this one. He said, so son, he said, that's called a tithe. It's all God's. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, son, are you listening to me? It's all his. And he says, now you just give back to me that tenth. And so I said, dad, dad, that's great. And he'd do that sometimes that way. But most of the time, he did it a different way. He'd say, now son, sit down there. He said, I got something. And you know, it's payday today. I said, yeah. He said, I got my check. And he'd lay that check out on the table. He said, now, son, take the little book. I get the book out. Here's one of them. It, this one's dated 1949. And I was not born then. I want you to know that, okay? <clears throat> but he would, he would say, he, and he had a little nubby pencil like this. He said, now, son, he said, how much is that check right there? And I said, well, okay, dad, it's this much. He said, okay, write that down. And he'd say, now, son, I, I need to know what's 10% of that. I said, okay. And he said, now that's a tithe. Okay. Okay. He said, now, we, the Lord's been good to us, son. Let's do a little more. And so he said, he might tell me what to add. And he said, now, what's, what's your number? And I would tell him, he'd say, okay. And then he'd say to mom, Eunice, come here, check this boy's math. See if he's got it. And, and she'd, you know, of course I had it, you know. She, she'd say, oh, he's right. And he'd say, man, you must be an Einstein or something, son. Unbelievable. And so he would do that, paychecks. He'd bring home overtime checks. Vacation pay came in May of every year. Now, that's how I grew up understanding stewardship. You talk about legacy? Listen, Grandma, Grandpa, Mom and Dad. You do something like that with your children, and first of all, it's real to you. You will change. You will transform the legacy that you'll pass down. I'm telling you. That's, our, that's how my, my dad would do that. <laughs> I love how he used to describe it. He, he, folksy man, he said this. He'd, he'd describe it this way. Son... When I got saved, the Lord Jesus came into my heart. He came into my heart. But you know what? He wouldn't stop drilling. He kept going deeper and deeper, and he got down to my left hip, and my billfold opened up. That's what he'd say. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was quite a guy, I tell you. Some of you, a few of you remember him. He's been gone 19 years now, but with the Lord. And uh, experiencing his investments, I'll guarantee you that. But now, 
just a couple minutes, I'm going to pray over us and we're going to go. But I have something to share with you. I prayed about it. And it was just my heart to share with you. It's, it's, no, it's not pressure, it's potential. I want you to understand, folks, we don't even understand the potential in the kingdom of God. We have no clue. I sent that letter out to this congregation this week. You know how many homes that went to? 1,223 homes. Not people, homes, addresses. That is not, that's not just names we got hanging around. That's people that come to church here on some regular basis. I started thinking, I wonder how many zip codes that's in. So I started thinking about the zip codes around of our church. And I started doing some zip code studies. And I started thinking about the potential that might be in 1,223 homes for stewardship in the kingdom. And so I looked up some zip codes and I looked up on census material the median household income for each zip code. Median means right in the middle. Some are very much lower. Some are very much higher. Median's right in the middle. Give you some of the zip codes. 37909. 37909. Average median income, median income $42,200. Household income. 37919. Median household income $51,400. 37931, median household income, $61,000. 37932, median household income, $80,400. 37934, median household income, $92,800. 37922, median household income, $97,200. The zip code where our church building is located is 37923. The median household income is 53900 which is interesting. That's almost exactly the median household income in the United States, right at $54,000. 53900 So here's what I did. I said, let's just say, and that's one of the lower ones, let's just take that as a median. Some in that 1,223 are much, much lower. Some are much, much higher. Let's just take that. What is 1,223 times 53,900? That is an annual income. That's, this is one, would be lower. This is just this zip code. That's an annual income of 65 million $919,700. $66 million. That 1,223 people in a median could represent. What is the first fruits of that? <laughs> that would be $6,591,970. Our faith budget that we're, we want to approve tonight, our faith budget for everything that West Park does in missions, local, around the world, all the gospel ministry, our annual budget is $3,083,000. What is the potential of every year Potential of three and a half million dollars. What would that mean? I'm telling you what it would mean, whatever it would mean. It would mean marvelous joy, and not just to the pastor, it would be provision. It would be thanksgiving every day. There wouldn't be a need that couldn't be met. Missionaries sent out by the hundreds. In children's ministry, it would be incredible. Freedom for the poor. It would be a testimony. Any kind of ministry, imagine. That's just one congregation. In Knox County, there are 752. 
Oh, friends, the potential for the kingdom of God. So where do you start? Number one, start where we started. Start with yourself. Lord, have I given myself to you? Is my life yours? It's not about money. It's about me. Have I given myself to you? Friends, just ask yourself. I'm not asking for your money. I'm not, don't know anything about your money or your giving. But start with yourself because that is a treasure. What shall a man profit, be profited if he gains the whole world and loses what? His soul. Number two, start with the next step. What might be this next step for some folks here? Next step might be, listen carefully, dial in. Some of you here are in real need. And we may not know about it. We need to know so that your need can be met. This body is about meeting the needs of everybody. And I promise you a sacred promise. There will be never known in this congregation anybody who goes without basic resources. Because all of the resources necessary to care for every single person attached to this church are here. And it is a joy to do it. Let people know your needs. That's where some people need to start today. You need to say, I got some needs. Number two, some of us need to pray about a reformation. First fruits, not last thought. We need to reform. We need to ask God to help us make some lifestyle changes, perhaps. That might be where some of us are. And some of us need a reassessment. Some of you, God bless you, you were tithing when you made 15000 And now you're tithing when you make 85000 Maybe it's time to say, I need to take a next step. Not just keep expanding my lifestyle, but adjusting so I can have more to give to those that are in need and the, the work of the gospel. But all of us need to do this. Listen to the Lord. Honor the Lord with all your wealth. The first fruits of all of your produce. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your presses will burst forth with new wine. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you all. How will he not also through him freely give you all things?